Now back to Puckett and the Gas Man on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. Entertaining sports talk. Welcome back to a Zeke's Pizza Beer and Pizza Thursday. Puck and Gas with the Carter Volkswagen Studio. Now time to check in with our weekly guest. Our guy Terry Blunt joins us on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline. Terry, of course, has a show on Saturdays. 11 to 1 right here on 950 KJR. Also sat in yesterday for Ian Furness. Fill it in for him as he was a little under the weather. And he joins us right now. How are you doing, Terry? I'm good, guys, especially when you play Rubber Band Man. That's one of my favorite songs ever. Uh, there's a history to that for me. When I was at the University of Houston at the basketball games with the great Clyde Drexler, Kim Olajuwon, Michael Young, all that era, they would always play Rubber Band Man to get the crowd fired up whenever they if they got behind or they needed a rally. And that song is embedded in my brain for all time. It, it, it brings back some strong memories for you. There you go. <laughs> that's a, you know what? That's such a. It's in all sports. There are teams like that. Such a great team that it's easy to say should have won a national championship. Uh, many people think Guy oh, Lewis was to blame for that, but it, it, a lot of talent on that team to not win one. I, uh, I went many years without forgiving the great Guy V over that incident, but mm. uh, but in the end, he was one of the greatest coaches ever. A super guy, did yeah. a lot for the university, and glad he finally made it into the Hall of Fame. Very deserving. But at the time when that happened, and they lost that game, to North Carolina State. Uh, if I could have pushed him off a building, I probably would have. <laughs> well, it's, gee, Terry, I mean, my God, it's, man. It's good that you were rational about <laughs> it, at least. Get over it. <laughs> Puckett's trying to I'm feed people it. to alligators. You're pushing said, people out of buildings. Time, at yeah, the time. We, we don't need multiple killers here on this radio station, Terry. <laughs> Did you cross now paths? I'm watching, I, now I'm just watching Argentina's shame. <laughs> oh, we need. Here. I need Argentina to score quickly here. I do not like this, what is going on. I don't need one of my teams oh. eliminated already, and one of the favorites. Oh for my sakes. gosh! They better wake up here. Did you when so, you were at uh, Houston? Did you cross paths with with Nance and, and couples? Were you guys like in the same dorm room? Of course, of course. Yeah. We were all there, basically, kind of at the same time. Jim huh. Nance was Jim Nance was so good. Uh, we were in the communication department at the same time, but Jim Nance was so good compared to me. Jim Nance was already doing weekend uh, sports cast at the CBS affiliate when he was 19 years old. When he was a sophomore at the University of Houston. That's, that's how good Jim Nance was. That's how his path to fame had already started. And, of course, the great golf teams there. Nance started on the golf teams. He wasn't good enough to stay on it. Fred Couples, and those were the great golf years for the University of Houston under Tom Williams. And, and uh, yeah, that was a tremendous uh, time there and, and great golf. I mean, just unbelievable. Is it as simple as there's so much competition within the state of Texas as to why Houston has never had any kind of a great sustained football run? You know, you would think in that city and with that facilities, they've got money, they've got some good alums, all that. And and they've had a flash in the pan here and there, but but is it because you know you Texas Texas A and M there's just too much to compete with? It's because the the hateful and dreaded and the, the scourge of my life, University of Texas, mm-hmm. has always fought against the University of Houston. And be, so when Houston was in the Southwest Conference, Houston competed equally with all those tools, all those schools, because they could get all the recruits in Houston. And Texas couldn't stand it anymore. So when they formed the Big 12, they made sure to keep Texas out and let Baylor in. At the time, Ann Richards was the governor. She was a Baylor alum. That was a factor in it. But they left Houston out. So when Houston got left out of the Big 12, 
that was kind of their demise. That's when things started to go downhill because they couldn't recruit those players anymore. They were playing in a lesser league, and kids wanted to play in the Big 12, and they lost them. And it happened again last year when it looked like Houston would be the team and they would expand you know, to actually be the Big 12 again instead of just 10 teams. They were going to, ex- they were going to expand. Everyone expected Houston would definitely be one of the two teams they expanded, but Texas shot it down. The University of Texas shot it down because the University of Texas wants to be able to get all those great recruits in Houston, and if they knew if Houston got back in the Big 12, they would lose a lot of them. So the University of Texas shot them down. I hate the University of Texas. I've always hated the University of Texas, and I always will. They are dirty, they're mean, and I don't like them. There yeah, he is, there. Terry. Terry Blunt. Again, you can catch Terry's show, Blunt Sports Stock, every Saturday, 11 to 1 o'clock on Saturdays right here on 950 KJR. I'm sure you discussed this yesterday. I'm not sure how much you'll pick this up on Saturday on the show. Phil Mickelson had his, uh, of the storylines this week, the top stories, Mickelson offered his apology yesterday uh, saying that he screwed up. What was your take on that, on the situation at Shinnecock Hills in the, in the third round of the U.S. Open? The funny thing about it was, ironically for, for me on Saturday, is we had Todd Millis on the show talking about the U.S. Open as that happened, oh, wow. right as that incident happened. And Curtis is saying, did you guys just see that? And I kind of missed it. And then I asked Todd if he saw it. He said, yeah. He said, I, I just thought that was some kind of fluke thing that didn't really happen. That really just happened. So we were all just kind of stunned. And then, you know, it's just, it was a laughable thing and all that. We talked about how, look, who, who of us have ever played golf on a links course somewhere, haven't done that to keep from shooting another shot off the green. But this is the U.S. Open mm. and one of the greatest players of all time. It was just bizarre. And I think what happened yesterday is, you know, look, his speed's got a million big money sponsors. I'm sure they said, hey, you're going to have to say something here. This has gotten too ugly. I'm sure his PR people told him he had to do it. And so he comes out and does his mea culpa. But yeah, it was, uh, it was just one of the craziest things I've ever seen in any major event of any sport. It was just really bizarre. The reaction to it too was, you know, not quite universal, but it's like, you know, everybody seemed so outraged about it. And there's, you know, there's others that go, look, so what? You know, there's yeah. times when, and again, you know, we talk about like soccer's quirks. One of golf's quirks is, you know, you can't even think about violating a rule without everybody treating you like you're, you know, Satan as opposed to just go, well, whatever. Right. So you had a bad moment on the course, but people really, you know, reacted strongly about this, which doesn't surprise me, Terry. I mean, I, I know, I know how the game's played and I know how you know, some people treat that thing, but this, you know, to me, this wasn't that big a deal. I didn't feel like it ruined the tournament or ruined my day watching it at all. Oh, of course not. But it's just part of golf. I mean, some guys like Rory McIlroy said, I laugh, no big deal, who cares? And then Steve Elkins said it's the worst thing he's ever seen happen in golf. (laughs) I mean, you're right. It ran the spectrum. But the problem is in golf, you have, you know, it's all about you police yourself. You know, the the rules of golf, you're supposed to be a gentleman and police yourself and all that. So there were people who were upset about it. I think there were people who looked at it, and and I get this, like, a guy shooting a three-point shot when the, in the final two seconds of a game where they're winning by 20 points, or you know, a guy not running out a ball to first base and going to the dugout halfway down the line. You know, that that kind of thing is how I think some people saw it in terms of sportsmanship. 
it certainly got way overblown. And uh, but <laughs> and I really think, and I'm almost certain of this, the reason it happened, and I know Mickelson's excuse afterward is that's his thumbing his nose at the USDA sure. for once again setting up a course where it was impossible to put on the greens on Saturday, and he's just saying, you know what, you guys deserve this. I'm not even going to go try to shoot this shot again. So he would. It would have been better actually if he would have just admitted that that day. If he would have gone in after the thing and said, you know what, I did that because I'm mad at the USGA, and this is what they deserve. Well, that would have yeah, been good. Yeah. I mean, John Daly did the same thing and then just, you know, yeah. walked off the course back in the day. I mean, it's just you – know, I mean, I'm not getting up in arms about it, but, I mean, I mean, I, I felt he should have been disqualified for it. I mean, I love the train wreck nature of it, but yeah. I mean, he clearly – their rule and they – of their rule that they should have enforced, uh, he should have been out because his intent was to stop the ball. And, yeah, well, they say, I mean, and we talked about this yesterday. Uh, uh, Shockey and I talked about this yesterday. There's just, just the rule. If you do that, it's a two-shot penalty. So he got the two-shot penalty. So that's, you know, that's well, kind that's of the, the way that, No, the but that's the way they inter- they, they, they picked and chose how they wanted to interpret it. Of course. Uh, but the of rule course is, the, the rule that they should have enforced, which would have made him disqualified, was what was his intent? Was his intent to stop the ball? His intent was to stop the ball. The rule that they enforced was he was... He wasn't. He wasn't hitting the ball. He wasn't hitting the ball in, a, in trying to in trying to change its direction. Well, that's exactly. So it's like he didn't stop the ball. Is what the the way they interpret it. Well, so. yeah, he did. <laughs> I mean, you had to stop it to move it the other direction, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. But here's the thing. Here's the way to look at it to me. What if Tiger Woods had done the exact same thing? Can you imagine the uproar? Well, he, he had he, done that. Well, he did the same thing at the Masters. I mean, he 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 mismarked yeah. his, when he dropped his ball uh, when he went in the water, and then and then he was caught doing it, and they let him continue playing the golf tournament. I mean, was, and there was a huge uproar about it, and there was at least some doubt as to whether it was intentional. Intentional. There was no sure. doubt on this thing. I mean. It would have been a huge uproar had Tiger done that. But Phil Mickelson is a beloved guy by most people who follow golf, and they just kind of laughed it off. And, hey, you know, okay. For me, it just made it more fun because, you know, the tournament kind of got crazy on Saturday. It looked like at that point Dustin Johnson was going to run away with it. He didn't, of course. But but uh, it just made it more fun and more interesting. But, you know, if it had been me, you're right. If I had been an official – in charge of mandating the rules at that moment, I probably would have disqualified him. And let's switch gears over to the Seahawks. I know it's almost around the corner here, and you'll be over there covering it, and like everybody else. What are some of the, as we're a few weeks away from it starting, besides Earl Thomas, and that's going to dominate training camp, what are, I guess, what is everyone's biggest kind of takeaways or storylines as we lead up to training camp? First of all, I want to say that this team's popularity is just absolutely amazing. Once again today, they have they open the window to get your tickets for spring training for the twelve or thirteen days, however many that it's open. And what it sells out in I don't know two hours or twenty minutes yeah. or I don't know what it was. No, Ninety nothing, minutes basically. Yeah. The tickets are completely gone. I mean, this people in this town absolutely worship this team, and I love it. That's great. That's a great thing. So they still they still believe. So what's the big take for me going into this? I mean, I. I, the big take for me is to find out whether or not their offensive line can be any good. And there's really no way to know for most of it because so many practices are, are non-hitting, really. There'll be a few now where we'll see, but really it'll take going into 
the preseason games where we know whether or not this newly aligned offensive line can be decent. To me, that has been, even in the good years, even in the two Super Bowl years, that still was the weakest, weakest link of this team. And it really has been throughout this entire era. So can they now, with some of the young guys that they're going to play, that they expect to be really good, like Ethan Postick, now with getting DJ Fluker, who's a real road grader kind of guy, can, and now full year with Dwayne Brown, can they be a decent offensive line where they can get back to running the football well and make Russell Wilson the quarterback he needs to be? That, that's the biggest. There's so many questions with this team. But to me, that's the biggest question mark. Can their offensive line be better than average? And, well, I don't know. The other big question for the next month or month and a half or so for NFL team, not quite month and a half, about month, is uh, can our guys stay out of trouble? Because this is really yeah. the longest stretch where they're they're without any kind of supervision. <laughs> this is where we start getting the good stuff. The good stuff will come out this month. There was no question about it. Even Pete always talks about that, by the way. On the last day of minicamp, he always goes, you know, uh, now's the time for these for, for these guys are on their own, and we want them to do the right thing and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of his little message to them: said, guys, don't do anything stupid. Please don't make us be in the news. You know, you've got you're talking about ninety men between the age pretty much of twenty two and twenty eight for the most part that are have some money in their pocket, and the chances of something happening are pretty good. <laughs> Not you know something happening that's not uh, on the up and up. Their chances are pretty good when you have that many young men with money. Something might just happen. So then it, he always worries about it. Every team worries about it, and we're going to hear something. You know, hopefully not with the Seahawks, but some team, some guy's going to do something dumb in some nightclub or something like that. So it's just it's inevitable. It's inevitable, and I think that the NFL gets a little bit of a bad rap about it because the truth is. If you took a group of whatever it is, a thousand young men, mostly single, in their mid twenties that have money to do whatever they want to do, bad stuff's going to happen to some of those guys. I mean, just, yeah. you know, it's silly not to think it will. What do you got coming up? What's the topic du jour Saturday? What's your Mount Rushmore? You know, I'm debating a few things on the Mount Rushmore. I'm thinking about just going completely rogue. You know, you guys always make me hungry. Every time I listen to your show, you're talking about food, you're talking about beer. That's the show. All that kind of stuff. We got nothing else going on for us, Terry. Well, but thankfully, you did. I did have a truffle yesterday. It was outstanding from John Howie. Oh, my gosh, that was so good. So that's the best thing about coming in after your show, if I'm actually there. But but I thought about just doing a thing on uh, the Mount Rushmore of Best things to do in the Seattle Tacoma area, or maybe the four best restaurants. That's Just going completely rogue on this thing. You know what? what I'm going to guarantee you right now, Terry, you're going to get more response from that than anything oh, you've I ever know. done. Yeah, it'll, be it'll be I huge. I guarantee. Oh, without question. All yeah. right, Terry. Yeah, without question. We'll check in on Saturday, 11 to 1, right here on 950 KJR. Okay, guys, take care. There he is. Terry Blunt.